We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, listeners. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show that brings independent and interesting STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine, to you from Tasmania. This show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station. So head over to edge.org.au for more info. My name is Ollie Dove and I'm joined by my co-host Anna Abella. But before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land from which we're recording, the Palawa people as we record here on Lutruita. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from where you are listening in from. On behalf of everyone here and at home, I pay my respects to Elders past and present. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that sometimes brings me a lot of grief in my day-to-day job, and that is coding. And specifically, we're going to be talking about women who code, the challenges they face, and about a particular wonderful group of female software engineers who are levelling out the playing field. And word on the street is that there also might be a bit of chat about crafting and cats with today's guest. But I'm now going to pass over to Anna to tell us more. Hi, uh, we're joined by Carmen Cheng. Uh, She is a front-end developer and co-founder of the Coding Sisterhood. Hello, Carmen. Hi, Anna. Hi, Ollie. Thanks (laughs) for having me. That's okay. So let's start at the beginning. I met Carmen a couple of years ago during TAS ICT's pilot program of the Springboard project. And what I didn't realise at the time is that Carmen was very new to working in technology. So you'd been studying business for several years. What inspired you to make the change to tech? Yeah, um, so yeah, as you said, I started out in business and actually before I even did two years of law. So it's not new that I've been, you know, trying to find my passion or what I'm interested in or what makes me happy. So being in business and being in retail, you know, a lot of times you see that people struggle with tech and along with, you know, my interest and curiosity in tech sort of put me in that path. Um, But more so, you know, I just didn't want to, I was more up for a challenge. So do you remember what your preconceptions about tech were before you started and how did that sort of compare to the reality once you got into it? Absolutely. It's almost like a culture shock, you know, like it's that stereotypical uh, mindset that you have to be really smart, you have to get a degree to be able to go into IT and, you know, you probably sit at the computer nine to five and all you do is just write code. But once I got into the industry, it was completely different and they value soft skills and communication skills and all these other skills that you never think of more than technical skills Um, because obviously you need the technical part of it to be able to write the code and build things and you know make things work but it's also important to be able to you know convey your ideas and your problem solving um, skills and all that as well which um, surprisingly um, is lacking in the industry. And you ended up going into front-end development. So what is that and how did you choose that? So I started off with front-end because um, um, as someone who didn't study IT, um, when you just jump into this sort of industry, um, you get instant feedback because obviously when you build stuff, you can see it's come up on your screen straight away and it's an easier path to go into IT as well. 
But, you know, if you worked in a job that deals with a lot of like data and, you know, that sort of uh, relationships, then you can definitely still start in the back end. So it depends on, you know, your environment, your interests and, you know, who you have around you that guides you as well. As someone who is very new to this field and doesn't know much about it, what actually is the difference between back end and front end? What does that mean? So the front end is usually what the user sees. So when you load up a web page and you see all the nice things, um, that's the front end part. And the back end is how things communicate with each other. So think about like how data is being handled at the back end or how, you know, um, when you request for like an image to show on your on your screen, what happens there? So that's sort of the back end part. And, you know, like if you if you have like Facebook, for example, and you've, they've got like a whole list of members, where do they store that? And how do they, you know, regulate and make sure they're showing the right member details and all that stuff? So that would be the back end part. So we met at um, the TAS ICT Springboard Pilot. There are a few other programs that were sort of running in the to- at the time. Um, what did you get involved in to start your career in ICT? Yeah. Um, so before, yeah, we did, and that was definitely a couple of years ago now. <laughs> that went by really quick. Mm. Um, um, so I actually, when I got into IT, or, or when I wanted to get into IT, I was, you know, in that mindset where I just didn't know where to go and how to start. And naturally, you think like, oh, I'm I'm looking for a career change, and the first thing I got to do is upskill. And usually you go start looking at courses and, you know, local TAFE institutions and universities and look at what they have. So I decided, you know what, let's just go with uh, TAS TAFE. They have a certificate three in IT, um, which is a six months course. Um, But I was um, very fortunate that at that time, I think ACS and TAS ICT has a um, women in tech pilot program, a two year program. And so to support women going into this industry, they move the six months program into a nine months program. So instead of full time, it's part time. So that way, if it's great for like mothers who, you know, needs to pick up their kid or someone like me who's working um, part time as well. So I can juggle that. So I went into that and they had this some um, work experience as well, which allow us to work at our um, chosen or any local businesses that volunteered to provide that work experience for us. So that provided us with a, with a foot in the door. But um, besides Springboard Project, I wasn't actually aware of anything else. Yeah, I mean, that's all <laughs> I could think of. When I, I did my uh, Cert 3 in IT, probably three years before you, and it was a completely <laughs> different experience. There was nothing. So it's awesome that you got to have those experiences um, going through and, and you got a bit of a foot in the door and that's might be kind of what led into what we'll be talking about next. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and today we're talking about women who code. My name is Anna Abella and I'm joined by Ollie Dove and our expert guest Carmen Chiang, a front-end developer and co-founder of the Coding Sisterhood. So Carmen, we just spoke a bit about your journey into technology and sort of where you went on from there. You've co-founded this amazing program called the Coding Sisterhood. How did that come about? When that happened, I was probably six months into this um, industry and that's when I started learning to code and 
you know, being someone who is picking up that off the bat is really difficult. Um, and what you really need is support and guidance and mentors. So, um, so I was told by this recruiter to meet up with this other software engineer who's um, a female and recently moved from Sydney. And we decided to go grab a coffee and we put it on this um, website called Meetup. And so we went there and there was only three of us <laughs> that showed up. Um, and we just had a, you know, sort of had a chat and found out, you know, what um, what we're doing and what our plans are, what our goals are. And we just, and we thought that, you know, we, it, he, she's a, a software engineer. It's been, and she's been doing that for about five years before she moved to, um, Tasmania and I've just been doing it for six months but surprisingly what we are looking for were quite similar in that we need that support and we need a, a safe group to be able to you know confide in and consult and just get that guidance that we're not getting outside and we thought that we haven't really come across any group like that in Tasmania and we thought um why not just start it if you can't find one and we thought yeah let's just you know create a slack group create a, a page somewhere and talk to the current connections that we know of and see if they're interested because um I think she was probably the second female software engineer that I know of that's based in Hobart at that moment I only knew three female software engineers in Hobart (laughs) wow three is not many at all in like an entire city how many do you have nowadays well surprisingly they're all all the female software engineers are actually hidden um, so we had to, uh, you know, almost metaphorically dig them out and, you know, get them out. And um, I think a lot of workplaces you find very common is that there probably is only one or two, if any, female technical um, people in there. But it's good that with the group, um, people are finding that there's a place to go and gather. And so across LinkedIn and Meetup and a few different platforms, we actually have managed to get about two to 300 members now. So that's a, um, a mix of, you know, students, graduates, um, current software engineers, um, and anyone who's just supportive of our cause, because um, there's definitely a need for that. That's incredible to go up to two to 300. <laughs> How do you find the transition from maybe if a female teenager was potentially thinking of going into that sort of career? Do you think there's ways that she could be encouraged or the visibility that it is a career that's possible for her could be improved? Yeah, absolutely. I think just provide that exposure would be the first way to do it. Because um, obviously, you know, like personally, when I wanted to go into this industry you've got that you know misconception of you know you got to be really smart you got to have a union degree and all this other stuff which is absolutely not true at all skills are just something you can learn so that's definitely doable and that's what we try to do in coding system is to run you know uh, we try to run monthly workshops that teaches or exposes people to the most basic programming um, skills so things like html and css that big basically is exist on every website that's the skeleton and the as we say pimp the website up then obviously you've got the javascript which is a very popular language that um, handles the logic of how you know buttons work and things like that and I think that's like a really good introduction to coding and we get them to do like hands-on stuff as well so like um, get them to create their own web pages or just a simple um, you know uh, button and you know, providing that sort of guidance and exposure to them, they can see like, 
you know, how easy it is and how achievable that is. And I think that itself is a very, very good encouragement. And, you know, instead of, I could go into schools and talk to them like, oh, this is doable, you know, if I can do it. And and that's a very common talk or very, you know, um, I'd rather show it to them like, you know, here's, everyone's got a laptop. Let's, you know, bring up your internet browser. I'll show you a few things to do. And next thing you know, usually, which is what happens in our workshop, they want to just do stuff for themselves and start <laughs> building web pages and all that. I attended on the weekend one of Carmen's workshops and everyone was just laser focused. <laughs> I was standing in the back sort of whispering to her just because I didn't want to interrupt. But it's amazing that you're offering this opportunity for people and they're able to come in and pick up things and are you sort of seeing these preconceptions that you might have had just sort of coming down um, for the women who are in there now and then sort of realising, oh, maybe this is something for me? Absolutely. It's not just some people who want to go into the industry and it's, you know, it's the same as someone who has gotten a, a master's degree in IT or, you know, or starting out their studies or, you know, have some sort of experience, you still get that fear of like, oh, can I actually do it? And, you know, like, I'm still not good enough. And it takes me years to get to this person's level or to be able to do that. But, you know, um, and that's really common. And that's what, you know, as we all know it as imposter syndrome, and we actually did a workshop on that. Um, I actually um, had coffee with one of my um, seniors uh, or my mentors yesterday. And I was, you know, two years into software development and I've built apps and I've released them and and I still go back to him and, and say, like, I still don't know what I'm doing and I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> and that's also the other part of Coding Sisterhood. We, you know, we encourage each other and we kind of remind each other, like, no, like, you can do it. You, you know, you, you are working in a job that pays you, so clearly you can do it. They believe in you, so you should believe in yourself. That's so true. I feel like imposter syndrome is one thing that gets so many people, but until people start talking about it out loud, they don't realise that it's affecting the others around them. But with those workshops and events that you put on, any activity that you do presumably needs some sort of funding or there's some way that because you're a volunteer base group, I imagine, do you find that grants or organisations are keen to support you? Do you have any backing in that sense? That's actually a really good question and a a long term question that we're trying to address. Um, so when we started this group, um, it was out of passion. It was out of you know what we want to do and give back to the society. Um, so pretty much the whole time that we've been doing this is um, all the materials and um, resources is all um, coming from our free time and out of pocket for us my previous employment did provide a space for us to run the workshops because we used to run them face to face and at that time it was okay because at that time we we were just starting out there was only like eight of us and we had two or three mentors who we could actually provide that one-to-one help and guidance as we gained popularity it was really nice to see and know that a lot of Tasmanian businesses, small or big, um, and communities and societies actually really want to help us and get us going. Um, so we definitely have that and we constantly get offers to, you know, have um, people come in for talks, um, provide, you know, any food or drinks during our workshops, materials, um, definitely a place as well. 
or if we had to like rent a place, they would pro- cover the costs for us. So that's really good. Um, we managed to run the events in a way that we don't require a lot of funding. We have thought about charging, you know, members um, a cost, like a, a fee to attend the workshop, but we want the workshops to be accessible to everyone. You know, even if it's $2, $5, that's still a cost and we just want to completely eliminate that. I love that drive to make it accessible as well because, as you say, even if it's small, it is still a cost. <laughs> Stick with us for part three as we delve more into Carmen's work here in Tasmania. listening to That's What I Call Science and we're talking about women who code. My name is Anna Abella and I'm joined by Ollie Dove along with our expert guest Carmen Chiang, a front-end developer aspiring to be full-stack developer who is the co-founder of the Coding Sisterhood. So Carmen, you mentioned before sort of these soft skills that are really important and I think something that I say often is um, the curiosity of how things work and sort of the tenacity to give things a go and them being traits that are often with women in IT. And this also brings me to your little side hustle. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell me about the the behind-the-scenes merchandising operation that's going on? (laughs) Yep. Um, So that's that's, um, something new that I've added to Coding Sisterhood, and that's really a personal hobby. Like, I work full-time and I run Coding Sisterhood, and I've got two cats to look after, so it can get quite stressful sometimes. And so I've been doing a bit of craft stuff on the side. I've taught myself to crochet and uh, to knit. And recently I've got into, I don't even know what it's called because it's a machine that you can buy and you can do all sorts of things with it. So you can put, you can create stuff and you can put branding on anything. So you can think about making, you know, like stickers, t-shirts, bags, mugs, really anything you can just put anything on. So it's the it's a cricket machine that I've bought recently and I've started um, you know, putting our logo just on bags and t shirts and giving it to our members. In saying that we did have um a really good support from the company Redbubble. They've actually given us a significant amount and we actually managed to get quite a number of t shirts to give out to our members and that's just um, you know, them supporting the the cause that we're doing. I love that there's sort of this community in there as well of creating these things and giving them back and having all of this merchandising and yeah I just thought that was such a classic example of you know (laughs) when you get women in IT and then they start exploring all of these different options and want to do all these different things. So what skills and traits would you say are actually needed to work in IT? Definitely problem solving. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday and, you know, that's the first thing anyone in IT would always say, you need to have problem solving skills, but really that exists in every industry and everywhere, you know. Like even if you work in a, in a restaurant, for example, and you're a waitress, you are solving problems, you know, a customer walks in and they need a table. You solve the problem by sitting down at the table. It just, sometimes we just don't think that that could translate to all different jobs. And, you know, if you've got that sort of way of thinking, you can really do anything. And it's just with tech, you know, you use tech to solve the problems. Definitely that interest is also important. 
problem solving is how you do it and the interest is what drives you. So together with that, I think that is all you need. Definitely communication because you need to talk to your teammates and, you know, relay your solutions to like your manager or your clients. Um, that's also really important. Skills um, and technical skills are actually the, the bottom bit because anyone can go and learn stuff. So if someone's listening to this today and they're thinking, oh, actually, you know, I've got those, I'm a really good communicator or I really like troubleshooting or thinking about different problems and maybe this is something that I'd like to do, what advice would you give them to get started? Definitely my best place of research is Google. Any questions you have on what you want to start, just put it in Google. Um, sometimes you may hit some things or like articles that other people have written that have, have gone through the same journey or just basic questions that you, you know, because sometimes when you start at something, you just feel like, oh, that's a silly question and I don't want to ask anyone because I'll be embarrassed. Google's a really good place because, you know, they're just not judgy. So definitely ask that. Um, I've done that myself, spend days on like just asking questions like, oh, should I, be, should I be a developer? Can I go into developing? Do I need a degree? Am I okay going this um, without any skills or certification or anything like that? Then the second advice is definitely reach out again with Google. There's so many groups out there, you know, like First Code Girls, um, Code as a Girl, um, She Codes, and those are just the three that I could think of um, that's out there that supports people like that. And that's also groups that specifically focus on women who codes. There's other groups that support women in IT that's more, that's broader. So you can think about like uh, non-technical roles like business analysis and uh, digital transformation. You don't have to be very technical in those, but you definitely need to have that communication and problem solving skills as well. So at least um, you're still within that industry. And in terms of the job market, presumably the internet's such a big thing, such a huge part of all of our lives. But Hobart is fairly, not necessarily remote, but separate from the rest of Australia. Is there any sense of there being fewer jobs down here, as in um, organisations would have their media and online team based in other cities, or is there a good scope of careers out there for people in Tassie? That's a really good question, because um, obviously, you know, with the smaller population, jobs definitely are much lesser compared to like big, big cities like Melbourne and Sydney. Um, but because of COVID, everything, a lot of things have moved online, and there was just this massive boom of technical need and so a lot of local businesses in Hobart are actually growing and I know quite a number are actually desperate to find you know people in technical roles and and they struggle to find people and because of that sometimes they even have to like contract um, people from mainland the good thing about Tasmanian businesses is they want to hire locally so and when I say locally it's just anyone who's who lives in Tasmania (laughs) And, and that's what I find with Tasmania and Hobart as well. We're, we're such a good community that we support each other. And I think that's why Coding Sisterhood managed to grow so quickly and so well. Because once you get out there, put yourself out there, there's bound to be people, well, five or ten people will be rushing to help you get your feet together, which is really cool. And how can our listeners find out more about Coding Sisterhood or get in touch with you? 
Um, so we actually recently launched um, our, well, I say recently, but this is in July. <laughs> um, but we've recently launched uh, our website. So you can go to coloredandsisterhood.com and it tells us, uh, it tells people what we do and what our events are and all our other social medias. So we've got Slack, we've got LinkedIn and we've uh, organised our events through Meetup. So you can join our Meetup group as well. So that way, every time we organise an event, you get notified by email. All our events are very casual, so you can just show up um, to one and, you know, if it's your cup of tea, that's great. If it's not, that's absolutely fine as well because we just want you to have that opportunity to just try it out. Awesome. And do you have any final tech words of wisdom to leave with our listeners? (laughs) Well, I guess um, I could say like what we always say in um, Coding Sisterhood is Mm. be kind to yourself. Mm. Um, Because you don't want to put extra pressure on yourself, you know, because that's just going to make things worse, thick things as they go. Um, I find a lot of people, they try to push themselves too hard and they end up crashing and burning. But sometimes you just need to know when your limit is, take a break and come back to the problem or come back to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in today for... that's what I call science we love bringing you science and tech related content and we really hope you enjoyed the show if you did love us you can get in touch with us by searching that's what I call science or that science Taz on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and don't forget to go check out Coding Sisterhood as well my name is Ollie Dove and I'd like to thank my co-host Anna Bella and our expert guests Carmen Chang for coming on today thank you both so much thank you listeners I hope you have a wonderful week This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science at all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.